Salvation Now podcast, where you'll discover and be equipped with keys from the Word of God that will pave the way to God's unlimited blessing in your life. Now, here's your host, Evangelist T.J. Malkanji. Fasting 101. I wanted to do a very basic teaching on fasting because sometimes we get into these fasting teachings and people uh, oftentimes will think that you know everybody else is on the same level the same uh, uh, the, the same level of understanding as you are and so we get ahead of ourselves not knowing that you know you're getting into things that people haven't even covered the 101 of it they haven't even covered the basics so if you're like that today's going to be extremely beneficial for you someone who's never fasted who's looking to fast or one who simply began to fast this is going to help you or if you have been a fa- someone who fasts for many years and many decades even this is the 101 basics will reinforce that in you. It will reinforce the value in fasting and prayer. It will reinforce um, the, the benefits, the reward system that God has tied to fasting and prayer that's going to give you an energy, a, a, a new willpower to actually continue on in fasting. So whether you're an expert in this or whether you're just starting out, this broadcast is going to help you out. It's going to be proven to be extremely beneficial to you because how many of you know, no matter how expert you think you might be, you know the Bible says, if any man thinks he is wise in anything, let him become a fool that he might become wise. So sometimes we think we're experts, but we've actually forgotten the basics. We got in so much into the complexities, we get mixed up and it becomes chaotic. It's a good thing to revisit the basics. It's a good thing to revisit the the baseline of anything that you're doing. So what is fasting? Let's get in it. What is fasting? Fasting, defined by Merriam-Webster's dictionary, is abstinence from food, withholding from food. In the Hebrew, the word fasting is the word som, T-S-O-M. That word in the Hebrew means to literally cover your mouth. So the Bible word for fasting literally means, if you translate it literally from Hebrew, it means to cover your mouth. It means to close your mouth. It means to not put anything in your mouth. So a lot of people, I'm not trying to bash this, I'm not trying to be critical or, you know, I'm not trying to be a Pharisee here, but a lot of people, they think fasting is like holding off, I'm not going to watch television for the next 30 days. And you can add those things to your fasting, it would be a good thing to not watch television while you're fasting or whatever, to to increase your consecration and devotion to God. But biblically speaking, if we want to do a Bible fast... Uh, withholding television is not considered a Bible fast. If that were the case, everyone before the the invention of television was on a lifetime fast. If withholding yourself from internet use or Instagram is a Bible fast, then everybody before the year 2000 was literally on a lifetime fast. So it's not, not going on the internet. It's not I'm not going to have chocolate for the next 30 days. You know, they do that in Lent. In Catholic circles, they have Lent. They, they take the one thing they love the most and they stop doing that. That, while it may prove to be good and may add to your level of discipline and it might help you uh, devote yourself in a more intense manner to your prayer life and to fasting, it does not, it is not by definition a Bible fast. A Bible fast, if we want, and I like to do things biblically. I'm the type of guy that does things biblically. I, I want to know what does the word say about it, not what man's opinion. Because remember this, and this is uh, this is uh, proven to be true in, in anything. 
Man will always water down the word of God in order to suit and adapt it to their lifestyle. Man will always take the word of God and droop it low so that it keeps to their standard rather than God's standard. That is easy to do. That's actually a very carnal thing to do. To be carnal means to be flesh-led. It means to do what feels right to your heart. We're not doing what feels right to our heart. If that were the case, you know, you know, you think of fasting, and all of a sudden, you know, the Lord tells you to go on a certain day, three day, five day, seven day fast, and all of a sudden, you know, I'll just do one day because that's what feels right to me. You're, it's either absolute obedience or you're in disobedience. It's either absolute obedience or you're in disobedience. So if the Lord says we are to fast by covering our mouth, and I'm going to get to the types of fast at the end of this broadcast, and it's going to be very practical for you. Um, types of fast, how to lean in on a fast, how to break out of a fast. Uh, it's going to help you on a practical level. But I wanted to start off this broadcast by defining a Bible fast, which is abstinence from food. Listen to what Luke 5.35 says. Luke 5, let's start with verse 33. Verse 33. Then they said to Jesus, why do the disciples of John fast so often and make prayers and likewise those of the Pharisees, but your disciples eat and drink? And Jesus said to them, can you make the friends of the bridegroom fast while the bridegroom is with them? The days will come when the bridegroom, he's referring to himself, when the bridegroom, when Jesus will be taken away from his disciples, then they will fast in those days. So the Bible says that there, Jesus was saying there is a future day when I'm going to ascend on high. Acts chapter 1, the Bible says Jesus was leaving his last few words with his disciples. They were saying, Lord, are you going to at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? Is this the time of the restoration of all things? Are we entering into the last, like, is this, is this it? Are you coming back on that horse like you prophesied? You know what the Bible says? Jesus replied. He said, it's not for you to know the dates or the times which the Father has set by his own authority. However, you shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come in you and you'll be my witnesses. Then, as he was speaking, gravity lost its hold on him, and he began to ascend on high. And the disciples were straining their eyes, trying to, trying to get a, 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 a glimpse of him through the clouds. And the Bible says, two angels dressed in white stood by them and said, why, Ye men of Galilee, why do you stand here gazing up into heaven, straining your eyes like that? This same Jesus... As you have seen him go, he will return in like manner. But in that day, he, they saw him go. They saw what he prophesied in Luke 5, where the bridegroom will be taken away from him, from them. That's exactly what happened. And you know what that introduced? The time of fasting and prayer for the church. Jesus said, when you see me taken away, then the disciples, those that subscribe to my disciplines those that have decided to follow me you know it's easy to say i have decided to follow jesus no turning back it's easy to sing it on sunday morning it's easy to hum it in your car but are you truly living that are you truly engaged spirit soul and body remember it doesn't say spirit and soul it says spirit soul and body and the bodily devotion that we give to god is not just in abstaining from sexual immorality it's not just in abstaining from gluttony, abstaining from, from using your flesh in a sinful manner, but what you do, uh, part of our consecration bodily is the suppression of our flesh through fasting and prayer. 
And this is the time. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6. Let me read it. Matthew chapter 6. I hope this is helping you already. If it is, please help me by sharing this broadcast so we can help more people. Matthew chapter 6. Listen to this. So Jesus says, when you give, then he moves on in verse 5, when you pray. But then he continues in verse 16. Moreover, when you fast. So he doesn't say if you fast. He doesn't say, hey, if you ever feel like fasting, you know, this would be a good way to do it. He doesn't say that. He says, when you fast, which connotes that he was, he was implying to his disciples that one day when you see me go, you should schedule fasting into your life. That's something that people don't do. They schedule prayer into their day. They schedule church into their week. They schedule Bible reading into their day. But they don't ever schedule times of fasting and prayer in their month. A good habit would be to actually schedule times of fasting and prayer into your month. Where every month, I'm going to take at least one day to fast. Or I'm going to take three days to fast. You want to know something amazing? This is crazy. It's going to blow your mind. If you will take three days a month of fasting and prayer from January to December. If you'll take three days a month. Whether those three days are uh, together. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. Uh, in succession to one another. Or whether they're scattered throughout the month. Meaning I'm going to take week one, week two, and week four. In each of those weeks, I'm going to take one day aside to fast and pray. If you'll do three days a month, that's 36 days a year, which is more than a tithe of your year. No, it's, it's about a tithe, sorry. It's a tithe of your year. It's 36 days of your year. There's 365 days in the year. 36 days of those you've devoted to fasting and prayer. That's a tithe of your year. That's 10% of your year that you've given to fasting and prayer. I can guarantee you. You know how we tithe financially? We give 10% of our finances to the Lord because we're setting aside our finances, our bank accounts to the Lord because Romans 11 says, if the first fruit is holy, the whole lump will be holy. Meaning if I set apart 10% of my finances to the, to the Lord, then the Lord is going to put his blessing on the 90. You know, I've heard this said many times and it's true. And I feel to, to reiterate it today. If you try to live on 100% of your finances, it'll never be enough. Whereas if you give 10% to the Lord, 90% will always be more than enough because you've set apart the first 10 to the Lord and you've consecrated it as holy. The same rings true with fasting and prayer. If you'll devote 10% of your year, and I'm not saying you have to do this, I'm just saying it's a good practice to do it. But if you'll devote time set aside per year to fast and to pray regularly, not just do you know 21 days at the beginning of the year and then forget about it the rest of the year, but to set aside, devote, when you fast, to set scheduled times of fasting and prayer throughout the months of the year i'm telling you what other people try to accomplish in a month and are not able to by you fasting and prayer you will secure power with god you will you will overrun you will outrun people that are, are riding on a natural frequency who don't fast and pray You'll outrun, you'll, you'll outpace them in results, you'll outpace them in effect, you'll outpace them in every measurable metric, I really believe that. It's like, look at Chick-fil-A, Chick-fil-A sets apart one day of the week where they're closed for business. One day of the week, they don't open for business. Sundays, they're closed, whether, you know, wherever they are, in a mall, you go to a mall on Sunday, every other, McDonald's is open, Burger King is open, every other restaurant's open, but Chick-fil-A is closed. Why? Because Truett Cathy, the founder of Chick-fil-A, was a, a spirit-filled Christian, and he said, I'm gonna, we're going to treat the Lord's day as holy unto the Lord, and you know what happened? When he consecrated that time to the Lord, 
didn't open up. All of his employees are forced to pretty much just go to church at that point. What ends up happening? They, in six days, sell more chicken burgers than McDonald's and Burger King and, uh, and, and um, KFC do in seven days. Per, per franchise, they have a higher income per franchise than McDonald's right now, than Starbucks, which are the highest. Uh, before Chick-fil-A, they were, the, they were the ones ruling the game. Chick-fil-A, in setting apart one day of the week, God bless the other six, they're making more in six days with one day off than every other company is making in seven days. That tells you something. There's a secret in there. If you will consecrate yourself to the Lord, it always ends up in benefiting you. If you will devote yourself, your body to the Lord, even in fasting and in prayer, you will outpace people that don't fast and don't pray. People that don't consecrate themselves to God. You'll outpace them in results. You'll do more than they can do. And it seems foolish. It seems foolish. It seems weird. How can you not eating have more energy, more strength, more brain power than people that are eating? That's the mystery of the faith. That's the mystery of, of spiritual things. We don't know how it happens, but it does happen. And actually, you do know how it happens. Because when you fast and pray, you're decreasing yourself. Which leads me to point number one. In five powerful reasons, you should fast and pray. Point number one, fasting and prayer neutralizes the flesh. It neutralizes the flesh. It subdues the desires of your carnal nature. Remember, when you got saved, you're a spirit, you're a soul, you're a body. Before you got saved, your spirit was dead in sin, the Bible says. He, uh, Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. And you, ye were dead in sins and trespasses of your flesh when you formerly walked according to the prince of the power of the air and were by control of the spirit of disobedience. You were dead in your sin. So when Adam sinned, his physical body lived on, but his spirit man died in sin. In the same vein, we were all born in sin. We were born dead in sin. Our spirit man was kaputz. There was nothing working in us. But we still have a soul, emotions. That's why you still got angry. That's why you still had happy feelings sometimes. You had joyous feelings. Other times you had envious feelings. You, you know, you still had a soul. You, you were able to decide things for yourself. Your soul is where your emotions are, your volition is, and your will is. Then you still had your body. Your body was fully able. Your body didn't change much unless you were sick and God healed you. But your body didn't change much from before you got saved to after you got saved. But what did happen is your spirit came alive. Your spirit man resuscitated. Your spirit man, the Bible says, that same spirit which was in Christ Jesus, he quickens you. He quickened your spirit man. He regenerated you. In Titus chapter 3, it talks about the regeneration of our spirit. That's why Jesus said you must be born again. Nicodemus was so natural minded. Imagine. That's why if ever you think, well, Pastor So-and-so is saying this, but I don't know. I can't find it in the Bible, but he's saying it, so it must be true. Just because you have the title pastor, just because you have the title apostle, a title evangelist or teacher does not mean you know it all nicodemus was an famed teacher he was a famous teacher in israel he was the the cream of the crop in pharisees and the bible says when jesus said you must be born again to enter in to the kingdom of heaven he said well how can that be am i supposed to go back in my mother's womb she died long a time ago how am i supposed to do that and jesus looked him astonished are you serious are you the teacher of Israel and still you don't understand a simple statement like that? So you can see just because someone has PhD in front of their name does not mean they know everything. 
Jesus actually, the Bible says how the Pharisees were astonished at his teaching and they said, how does this man know letters? How does he know the law? How is he so good at handling the word of God if he's never studied? He didn't sit, sit at anybody's feet. He didn't go to the University of Jerusalem. And yet he was leaving the Pharisees mouth open. Many times they came, tried to trap him in, their, in his words. They tried to, to test him, the Bible says. And then he'd give a response so beyond their level of understanding that the Bible says from that moment onward, they left him alone. They didn't ask him another question. Instead, they plotted how they might kill him. So just because you have a title PhD does not mean you know it all. Nicodemus says, how am I supposed to enter back into my mother's womb and be born again? Jesus said, are you the teacher of Israel and you don't know this? I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about a spiritual rebirth, being born again in your spirit. So when that happened, when you got redeemed and you were born again in your spirit, your flesh was still alive. Your flesh, your carnal nature, it, it, you know, it had learned so many bad habits over the years that you now have the responsibility to put to death. The Bible says in Romans chapter 8. Let me read this. Romans chapter 8. So the first benefit is uh, of fasting and prayer is that it neutralizes the effect of the flesh. Listen to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8 and verse... Let's start with verse 9. Actually, let's go back. Let's start with verse 5. Romans 8, 5. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. They think of earthly things. They're so temporally minded. They're so earthly minded. They're no heavenly good. We've all heard the opposite. You're so heavenly minded. You're no earthly good. And I think that's uh, that's not true, for lack of better words. I think it's actually destructive to say something like that. I don't think you can be too heavenly minded and no earthly good. Colossians 3 says, we are to set our mind on the things above. We are actually to set our mind on heavenly things. I think it's actually a demonic thing to tell someone you're so heavenly minded, you're no earthly good. You know what I found to, to be the truest? Those who are most heavenly minded are those that actually produce the most earthly good those that are most tied in their mind to the next life are those that produce the most results in this present life so you can be too earthly minded you're no heavenly good but you can't be too heavenly minded that you're no earthly good those who live in the flesh they set their minds on the things of the flesh all they think about is how to make more money. All they think about is how to, how to advance myself. You know, that's how you can know you're in the flesh. The Bible's literally telling you, this is how you can know your flesh has more dominance over your, your core, your spirit right now than your own spirit. This is how you know you're still in the flesh. This is how you can almost like it's a litmus test to see whether you're, you're truly walking in the flesh or walking in the spirit. People ask all the time, how can I know I'm walking in the spirit? This is how you know. What dominates your mind? Are you always thinking about this life? Are you always thinking about saving up for retirement? Are you only thinking about how you can live your best life now? Then you're walking in the flesh. Now, I'm not saying God doesn't want you to have a good life now. He does, and, and there's a way to do it. But if all you do is think about me, 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 how to advance myself, you're, the Bible says you have set your mind on the things of the flesh and you're walking in the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit, they set their minds on the things of the Spirit. So there's, you know, there's people that are not spiritual and people that are spiritual. And the difference is not, you know, 
People that meditate in the morning, whether they're praying to Jesus or whether they're praying to someone else, if you'll just meditate, you're a spiritual person. No, you're actually, you can do spiritual things and be in the flesh. That's where the occult comes. You can do spiritual things and be on the opposite side. You're on the demonic side. That's where witchcraft comes from. They're, they're, they think they're doing spiritual things that's going to benefit them. In, 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 in reality, they're actually harming themselves and they're allying with hell and with Satan and with their carnal nature to produce death in the flesh but to be a real spiritual person is not just to meditate in the morning it's your it's your connection to god a spiritual person is someone who implements scriptural disciplines that allow him to press in to god you know what paul said he said the things that i did in my old life all the religious disciplines i did that were all in the flesh i was boasting in the flesh i was a pharisee of a pharisee I had worked up the religious ladder. He said, everything I count as rubbish. It was nothing. Now, I don't place confidence in my flesh. I boast in the Lord Jesus Christ. And he said, this one thing I do, I forget those things which are behind. Forget all the time I wasted. And from today, I press towards the goal. So Paul led, led a life of pressing. He led a, a life of moving towards the goal. He wasn't, you cannot assume a state of neutrality in your Christian walk. You're either backsliding or you're moving forward. There's no, I'm the same as I was yesterday. And that's where backsliding actually happens, is when you start to assume a state of neutrality. It's like a, 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 a car when you're driving and you get a nail in your wheel and you don't feel it right away because the nail, though it's punctured it, it's not a massive hole, but there's air that's slowly leaking from your tire. And after a while, maybe a first week, nothing happens. But after a while, two weeks, three weeks go by, and then all of a sudden, you thought you're all right because you don't check your wheels every day. See, it's good to evaluate yourself, to see whether you're in the flesh or whether you're in your spirit, to see whether you're, you're like Paul, uh, Paul said in 1 Corinthians or 2 Corinthians 13, examine yourself to see whether you're in the faith or not. Whether you're moving forward or you're moving backward, it's good to take a toll of your own life. Evaluate yourself once a year, twice a year, three times a year. Because just like a tire, if you don't check your tires on a regular basis, and I'm not saying going OCD and starting to check it every single day, but every so often you should look at the pressure in your tires. Eventually you're driving and you're on a highway, and it's happened to me before, where all of a sudden, boom, 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 and that awful sound comes out, and then you're stranded on a highway, you're late for a meeting already, and now you have to call AAA or CAA to, get, to tow your car, to get your tire replaced, whatever. That's how some people lead their lives. They don't take evaluation of their life. They don't evaluate whether they're in the flesh or whether they're in the spirit. And then all of a sudden, see, backsliding is not a yesterday to today event. It's not an overnight thing. It's not like I went to bed last night, holy and, and faithful to my wife, and today I'm at a club and, and just, you know, living a, a, an unruly and a, a dark, dark life now. That's not how backsliding happens. It's not like yesterday you were in church praising God, lifting your holy hands up to God, on fire for God, and fi finishing your fast, and then all of a sudden today you woke up and uh, you're drinking, you're beating your wife, and you're shooting up heroin. That's not how backsliding happens. It's a slow and steady leak and oftentimes goes unnoticeable. So what fasting does, fasting allows you to take an evaluation of your life and then further on, it suppresses the thing that opposes the desires of the Spirit in you. Remember, Jesus said, the Spirit is willing, the flesh is weak. 
Galatians 5 says that the desires of the flesh wage war against the desires of the spirit. Your flesh is actually trying to fight your spirit, man, your spirit desires. Your flesh, the Bible says, stands in opposition against your spirit, man, which desires to please man. Everybody has that, you know, if you're in Christ, you have that spirit, man, that wants to please God, that wants to pray more, that wants to lead more people to Christ this year. But your flesh is where laziness comes in. It's where apathy is. It's where indifference is. It's where you have, you, 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 you have that tendency to take your foot off the pedal. Your flesh is where pride is. It's where, uh, it's where exaltation of self stems forth from it's where every wicked thing originates from so what fasting does is what john 3 3 30 says what did john the baptist say he said i must decrease uh, i must decrease but he must increase so fasting is the practical way to decrease the influence of the flesh in your life and to increase the influence of the spirit in your life i always tell this analogy you have two dogs in life you have the dog of your fleshly man and the dog of your spirit man. And whichever dog you feed the most is going to have dominate is going to dominate in life. You feed the flesh, you're going to have the flesh dominate your mind, dominate your talk, your speech, dominate your actions, dominate your your it's going to rule your relationships and ruin your relationships. And you're you're not going to amount to anything in life. But if you allow if you starve the flesh, that's what fasting is. You're starving the flesh. In a very, very practical manner. Because what's, may I remind you, what's the most, what's the most um, strong desire in man? I'd say the three most strong desires in humanity, in human beings, is desire for water, that's number one, desire for food, and then the desire for sex. Those are the three things. That's why Paul says when you give yourself to fasting and prayer, it's not a bad thing to actually abstain from, from uh, intimacy with your spouse at that time, to give yourself to fasting and prayer and then to come back together again lest Satan should take advantage and tempt you. But he says for a time, it's a good thing to actually abstain from sexual intimacy with your spouse so that you can be more focused and actually suppress every desire of the flesh because the three basic, I would say, is desire for th water, for thirst, because you can go a lot more long, uh, you can go a lot longer without food than you can without water, and then the desire for food, and then the desire for sex. Fasting crushes all three of those desires, so that now it's your spirit man who rules. Fasting is is practically taking charge over your carnal fleshly appetites. That's what it is. I mean, in Philippians, Paul actually says in the last days that men's God, the, the, the people that, pe the, the God that people serves will be their appetites. The Bible says in Philippians 3, I believe it is, whose God will be their appetites. So the Bible says in the last days, there's going to be sensual people who serve their appetites. I mean, look at Nike's slogan. If it feels good, do it. Just do it. Just do it. If it feels good, if it makes you happy, if it brings you pleasure. Remember Romans 1 says in the last days that there will be people who, who, who choose pleasure rather than God. There will be people who choose pleasure, who love pleasure rather than love God. Who put a premium on pleasure, on satisfying their own desires rather than putting a, a premium on satisfying God's desires. It's, it, it, this doesn't just talk about last days. This stems forth 
This, this, comes, this originates in Genesis chapter 3, in the original fall of man. What, what did Satan use to get man to fall? Food. So isn't it amazing? And in the wisdom of God, he chose abstinence from food to actually build resilience in your spirit against the evils of this world. Since the evils of this world use food to get us into the mess, God chose to use a discipline called fasting absence of food to not only get us out of the mess, obviously Christ got us out of the mess, but to, to keep us and give us a resilience against the thing that got us in the mess in the first place, which was a carnal appetite. Satan used Eve and Adam, Adam and Eve's appetite to get them into the mess. He said, this fruit is desirable to make you wise. This fruit is going to make you like God. He played on their appetite. He played on their carnal desires and it got them into trouble. Fasting is controlling carnal appetites. Prayer is connection intimately with God. Both of those things were out of place when Adam and Eve sinned. They put down their guard on controlling their appetites and they weren't at that moment connecting with God. They weren't talking to God, they were talking to the devil. So to safeguard yourself and walk in victory over those things that got them in trouble and get people in trouble to this day, fasting and prayer needs to be in place. A lack of discipline of the flesh shut the door for Adam and Eve to the heavenly and confined them to the earthly limitations. They were unlimited before. In, in, in Eden, they could do anything. I'm sure they can fly. I'm sure they had unlimited power with God. And because they didn't take charge over their appetite, they, it shut the door to the heavenly and it confined them to the earthly limitations, the Adamic limitations that have plagued humanity up until Christ and redemption. The discipline of the soul that comes from abstaining from the earthly so the discipline of fasting and prayer will do the opposite. Just like Adam and Eve through their uh, failure close the door to the heavenly and open the door to the earthly. In the same vein, fasting opens the door to the heavenly and closes the door to the earthly limitations. It brings you into a realm of no limits. I mean, you can look in scripture. I did a broad, I re released a, a recording yesterday on compromise. And uh, if you're a person of compromise, you'll never fast and pray. Because you look at Esau. Esau had gone out hunting for one day, several hours probably. He comes back. Jacob's making stew. And he couldn't, he compromised. He couldn't even keep to his conviction of what the birthright that he had was going to bring him for one meal. He compromised. For one meal. And the Bible says he lost his birthright as a result. Because of one meal. It got him into a rut. That even afterward. With tears he sought for it to be restored. And he, and he couldn't have it restored. Esau despised the birthright. The Bible says. Jacob prized the birthright. When you fast and pray. You are prizing. The blessings that God has reserved for those that will engage in that discipline. When you refuse to fast and pray, you despise. You're compromising to get temporal. Because everybody wants to, you know, if you're saved, there should at least be at one point a desire to fast and pray. But people talk themselves out of it. They talk themselves out of it. 
They, they pull an Esau. They despise the birth. Even though they can hear a message like this where I'm going to go through f- more of the blessings and benefits reserved for those that fast, they talk themselves out of it. They compromise. Esau compromised because he despised the birthright. Jacob received the birthright because he prized the birthright. Look at Cain. Cain was visited by God and told that if you will master, you can actually master your flesh. Cain was told by God, you can master your flesh. It's desired. Sin's desire is for you. So I'm talking about my number one point, neutralizing the flesh through fasting and prayer. Cain had a sinful fleshly desire rise up to kill his brother. God visits him and says, hey, sin's desire is for you. But you have to master it. For it's crouching at the door, waiting to pounce on you. But you can shut the door on it. The way we shut the door on sinful fleshly desires is by implementing a lifestyle of fasting and prayer. Uh, I I was going to read in Romans 8, verse verse, uh, 12. Therefore, brethren... We are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. So it says you don't have to live according to the flesh. You don't have to live a life of constant sin and struggle with sin. Instead, if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the flesh, you will live. So fasting is partnering with the Holy Spirit to put to death the deeds of the flesh. Fasting is partnership with the Holy Spirit To put to death the deeds of the flesh. Genesis 19 tells the story of Lot's deliverance from Sodom. The angel gives an instruction. Don't look back. Lot's wife has a fleshly desire to look back to the past. You know, people think the desires of the flesh is just like sinning sexually or or murder or stealing and all those things. Do you know that the flesh, the flesh wants to pull you backwards The flesh wants to to rip you backwards. The flesh wants to destroy your destiny. The carnal nature of man is it runs opposite to what God's spirit wants to give you and and do for you. So it's not just the obvious sins. It's the sin of worry. It's the sin of looking back and just focusing on your past. The way you defeat that habit, that bad habit of looking back to the past harms and hurts that you've experienced that rip you of joy today that habit is destroyed when you fast and pray lot looked back and she was turned into a pillar of salt she didn't do anything against the law of god in the sense that she wasn't she wasn't making a, an idol of something she wasn't sinning in 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 uh, sexually by doing that she wasn't sinning in um by getting angry or whatever she just Looked back and she was turned into a, a pillar of salt. She, she disobeyed God's instruction, which was to look forward, which that tells you that looking back is sinful. Constantly reminiscing on what this person did to you and that person did to you, and, uh, or reminiscing on how you used to go to bars and you can do, you were able to drink a whole, t- a whole uh, 40 of Jack Daniels and it didn't do anything. And just you know, boasting in your past. Oh, those are sinful things. Fasting and prayer will cut that out of your life. It'll remove that from you. Then there's, you know, you look at the lack of control David had over his own flesh. You know, the Bible says in the season that kings went to war, David stayed home. In the season where people were fasting, David didn't fast. In the season where people were sober-minded, 
and kept their spirit in check. David took a spiritual vacation. And you know what happened? That's when he got into trouble with Bathsheba. And then he tried to cover his sin up by getting Uzziah on the front lines, killed Uzziah, and it brought a national disaster. It hurt him. He didn't take charge. He didn't stay spiritually diligent. He took his foot off the pedal. Fasting and prayer keeps the flesh at bay and keeps you spiritually disciplined and diligent so that there's no off-seasons. A season where you don't fast and don't pray guarantees a harvest in the future of trouble. But if you'll keep on the discipline of fasting and prayer, you are securing for yourself harvests of blessings, harvests of breakthroughs, harvests of victory after victory, glory to glory in your future. Let me read this. 1 Peter chapter 4. So we're talking about neutralizing the desires of the flesh through fasting and prayer. This is what Peter says. 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 1. Therefore, since Christ suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourselves also with the same mind. For he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. Listen to this, verse 2. That you should no longer live the rest of your lifetime in the flesh for the lusts of men, but for the will of God. So when you don't fast and pray, you have no control or charge or command over the lusts of your flesh, the desires of your flesh, and you end up becoming a slave to the desires of your flesh. But Peter says we shouldn't do that. We should be slaves to the will of God. That's what fasting does. It kills. It, it cuts off the rope that's tied you in the direction. You've had a yoke of bondage tied, constantly pulled, in the it feels good direction when you fast you're cutting that rope off you're removing the yoke of your flesh and you're you're putting a yoke on you now that's tied to the will of god for we have spent enough of our past lifetime in doing the will of the gentiles when we used to walk in lewdness i love how he says we've spent enough of our past lifetime meaning peter's saying before christ that was another life i don't live like that anymore I don't, you know, they, people think that fasting and prayer is an extreme thing for religious zealots. It's not. Fasting and prayer is a regular practice for a Christian. Oh, that's for the pastor. No. Peter's not talking to pastors. Peter's just talking to regular Christians at Rome. And he's saying we've spent enough time in our past lifetime doing the will of the flesh. But now we should take charge over that and start to tie ourselves to the will of God. That doesn't come automatically. Why do you think there's some people that have extreme discipline, that walk in authority, that walk in power, that aren't struggling with sins time and time again? 14 years down the line, they're still trying to beat alcoholism. No. Why do you think there's people that they're in a vicious cycle of, of sin and falling prey to the desires of their flesh? And then there's others who are walking in absolute victory. It seems like they're just taking extreme strides forward i'll tell you if you can gain access to their prayer closet and their private disciplines they're guaranteed men and women given to fasting and prayer look at anna the prophetess in, in luke chapter one the bible says she gave herself to devotion to god in fastings and prayer she served god day and night she served god day and night by fasting and by prayer and she was a woman of extreme discipline. She was a virgin from her youth. She could have easily gotten remarried and stuff. It wouldn't have been wrong. 
But because of her fasting and prayer, she subdued all the desires, all the, ple- the, the desires for, for pleasure, the things that would get her off course. See, people think the flesh is, like I said before, it's just sin. It's just, you know, outright sin, things that are blatantly called sin in the Bible. No. It can be just subtle things that pull you off course. That fasting will neutralize. Fa- you know what fasting does? If you have no light in a room, you can't see anything. You have a little light, you can see some things. You have extreme light. Like, I, I have two floodlights, right? Three floodlights around me. If I put them at, a, they're at like 20% right now. If I have them at 100%, I mean, they'd blind me. But more than that, they would reveal all the dust particles that are in this room. Do you know what fasting and prayer does? It brings you so, it's, you know, G, uh, James said, draw near to God and God will draw near to you. Fasting is drawing near to God. It's pushing the plate away and saying, no, I'm more hungry to connect with God than I am to put food in my belly. And I said it before, the end time generation, Paul said one of the problems of them, uh, uh, one of their problems will be their gods will be their appetites. But when you fast and pray, you're drawing so near to God and God is light that he starts to reveal the dust particles, the things that are, that are polluting the air in your life. I mean, there's some places I've turned the light on and it's like, you can't even see. Before, when the light was off, it looked like a clear room. Turn the light on and there's dust particles everywhere. And people, people generally who don't fast, they live dark lives and they're just breathing in the dust particles that are hindering their destiny, hindering their forward progress with God. When you fast, God, he shines light and reveals all the little things. And it's not necessarily, like I said, it's not necessarily, you know, adulterous habits. Or it's not uh, necessarily things like, like, uh, like anger or anything. It could be subtle things. Like, you, you wake up too late. That the Lord wants to highlight in your life. Or things like you, you you're lazy. In this area. And you need to fix that. That if you didn't fast and pray. The Lord would have never been able to transmit that to your spirit. And as such. uh, You would have have stuck in that position. The rest of your life. So the Bible says. In the past lifetime. We did the will of the Gentiles. In regard to these things. They think it's strange. You don't run with them. In the same flood of dissipation. So fasting and prayer neutralizes the flesh. It crushes the appetites of the flesh. James, James chapter 4 says, Where do wars and troubles arise in your life? Do they not arise from your own members and your own desires? James actually says, The problems you're facing in life, I would say, I would say, James didn't say this, but I'm saying this. I would say 8 or 9 out of 10 problems that people are facing in life have nothing to do with the devil. It has everything to do with not keeping their flesh at bay and in check. And James 4 says, where do wars and strife, trouble arise in your life? Do they not arise from your own members, your own flesh, and your desire for other things? And you have not because you ask not. And even when you ask, you ask amiss because you want to spend it on your own pleasures, your own fleshly carnal desires. James actually says, your prayer life has been hindered. Because you haven't, you haven't fasted to get rid of the flesh. So your motives are all messed up. Your intentions are all messed up. Your desires for those things, even though they're good things, your desires are messed up. You see, two people can desire a healing ministry. 
I want the gifts of the Spirit to flow through me so I can see the sick healed. One could be like Simon the sorcerer who wanted it so he can sell it. The other one could be like me who wants it so I can bring glory to God so people can see there's a risen Savior, that the kingdom of God is not in word but in power and that people can know that God loves them through his healing power and demonstrating his healing power. So two want the same thing. One's motives are messed up. Peter turned to Simon the sorcerer and said, may your money perish with you. You thought the gift of God can be purchased with money. Your thoughts and your intentions are, are messed up. He said you're, uh, in Acts chapter 8 that your heart is not right before God. But then, I, I, I believe my motives are right. I, I want to I wanna see the gifts of the Spirit flow through my ministry like never before so that people can see the, the authenticity of the message that I preach because signs and wonders preach a message that English care. Two want the same thing. One has messed up motives. The other one has his motives in check. That's why James said you, have, you ask and you don't receive because you, you want to spend it on your own self. Fasting removes that. It clears out poor motives. It removes selfish ambition. It removes self-aggrandizement. It removes the desire for yourself to be seen. And it puts in you the primary purpose of man at an all-time high in your desire in your desire bank, and that is to glorify God. So number one, neutralizes the flesh. Number two, what does fasting and prayer do? Does it eliminates unbelief? Matthew chapter 17. Listen to this. Matthew chapter 17. Matthew 17 and verse 14. And when they had come to the multitude, a man came to Jesus, kneeling down to him, and said, Lord, have mercy on my son, for he is an epileptic, and he suffers severely. For he often falls into the fire and into the water. So I brought him to your disciples, but they could not cure him. And Jesus answered and said, Oh, listen, pay special attention to this. Oh, faithless and perverse generation. How long shall I be with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring him to me. And Jesus rebuked the demon, and it came out of him, and the child was cured from that very hour. And the disciples came to Jesus privately. They were like ashamed. Why could we not cast it out? Jesus answered them, because of your unbelief. Because of your unbelief. For assuredly I say to you, if you have faith, as a mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move. And nothing will be impossible for you. However, this kind, I'm going to talk about this kind. This kind does not go out except by prayer and fasting. For a long time, I've even been guilty of preaching it this way. But for a long time, I was taught that this kind is Jesus referring to the demon power that was in the child. That this kind of demon could not come out until you fasted and prayed. That's not what Jesus, further study of this, and if you read it in its context, it, Jesus was not referring to the demon power when he talked about this kind. I want to remind you, before this, you go to Matthew chapter 10, Jesus already gave his disciples power and authority over unclean spirits to cast them out. 
So they had the authority to cast out unclean spirits. They had the authority and the power to deal with this demon that was in the boy. They didn't like, that's why Jesus said when he replied to the disciples, when they asked him, why couldn't we cast it out? He didn't say because you don't have authority to do that. He didn't, he, he understood that they had the authority to do that. He had already given them all authority and all power. He, they were already his delegates. They stood in his stead everywhere they went. But the hindrance, the problem behind the scenes that were hindering them from casting out the demon, Jesus replied. The moment they could not cast it out, Jesus answered and said, what did he say? He didn't say, oh, 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 disciples who don't fast and pray, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I put? Jesus actually said, they're not going to fast. We meant, remember, we read at the beginning, Luke 5, they're not going to fast and pray until I go. So he wasn't talking about fasting and prayer. He said, oh, faithless. He was rebuking his disciples because they didn't, they didn't carry the faith that was needed to cast the demon out. And they came to him privately and said, why could we not cast it out? Jesus said, because of your unbelief. So what does fasting and prayer do? Fasting and prayer does not give you faith. I want to make that clear. There's only one way to get faith. Romans 10, 17. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So Jesus was not saying that faith comes by fasting and prayer. What he was saying here, he diagnosed the problem by saying, your unbelief stood between you and the faith that was required to actually deal with this demon that was at hand. Unbelief originates from the flesh. Unbelief originates from the carnal aspect of man. And this ties in with point number one, in that fasting neutralizes the flesh. Because unbelief originates from the flesh, when you fast and you're putting down, you're putting at bay the flesh, you're putting the flesh to rest, you're crucifying the flesh. When the flesh is crucified, unbelief gets crucified. So fasting removes the influence of the flesh wherein resides unbelief, where uh, unbelief originates from, which is the opposition of faith. So when you fast, you're eliminating unbelief in you. So that when you expose yourself to the word of God, faith is more easily received. Because faith comes by hearing the word of God. So fasting removes the, the, the plague of unbelief that stands between your heart and the word of God. When you don't fast and pray, it's hard to believe things in God's word. When you do fast and pray, that like veil of unbelief, God removes it by the Spirit. And then everything in the Word, it's like you become hypersensitive to the Word of God to readily receive it, believe it. It becomes easy to believe things that were hard to believe in the past. It's like, picture it this way. You have two thermometers. One thermometer is at like zero. That's like where everybody starts as a Christian. We have authority. We have power. We have all these things. But then on the other thermometer is someone who fasts and prays. And it's like, it's at, the, it's at the hottest. It's at the peak of where it can get. And at the top of it is faith, power, uh, authority. Everything that the person in the other thermometer holds, but doesn't take advantage of to its fullest, when you fast and pray, it like surges that thermometer up so that your faith comes at an all-time high.
Your authority is at an all-time high. Your power with God is at an all-time high. Luke 4.14, Jesus returned from fasting in the power of the Spirit. And signs and wonders began to explode and great fame became of His name. So Jesus was the Son of God. Jesus was baptized in the Spirit at the Jordan when the Spirit of God descended upon Him like a dove. But then it was only when we, He returned in, power, in, in prayer and fasting from prayer and fasting that he returned in the full power of the Spirit. So that's how it is. Fasting eliminates the hindrance, the opposition of unbelief in you. It pulls up your spiritual antennas to receive the Word of God in a facilitated manner so that you can have an all-time high, like a surge, an intensified faith. You have authority. You have power. They had authority. They had power to cast the demon out. But faith... The, uh, faith was needed to trigger off that authority and that power. So it's, there's a lot of people who say we don't need to fast and pray because we have authority. We already have the Holy Spirit. So what need do we have of fasting and prayer? Those people are ignorant because though we have power and authority in us, Jesus made that very clear. You shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come on you. All of the gifts of the Spirit are faith operated. All the authority that he said, I have the keys of the kingdom and I give them to you. Whatever you bind, whatever you lose shall be bound and shall be loose. That authority is faith triggered. So without faith, you can have all the authority and power in the world. You'll never cast the devil out. They'll mock you and spit in your face. But when you fast and pray and remove the, the perils of unbelief you, uh, and expose yourself to the word of God, you receive the faith that is required. So that no demon, no matter how strong, no matter how great a principality can stand in your way. So fasting and prayer eliminates unbelief, which stands in the way from you receiving faith from the word of God. Number three, fasting and prayer gives you divine revelation. Isaiah 58. Isaiah chapter 58. Isaiah 58 and verse... Let's start with verse four. Indeed, you fast for strife and debate... And to strike with the fist of wickedness, you will not fast as you do this day, to make your voice heard on high. Is it a fast that I've chosen, a day for a man to afflict his soul? Is it to bow down his head like a bulrush, and to spread out sackcloth and ashes? Would you call that a fast? Is that an acceptable day to the Lord? Is this not the fast that I've chosen? To loose the bonds of wickedness? To undo the heavy burdens? To let the oppressed go free? That you break every yoke? Is it not to share your bread with the hungry that you bring to your house the poor who are cast out when you see the naked that you cover him and to hide your, not hide yourself from your own flesh? Then your light shall break forth like the morning. Verse 8, Isaiah 58, 8. Then, if you'll do the fast that God's chosen, then your, your light, which light connotes revelation of the word of God, shall break forth like the morning and your healing shall spring forth speedily. Then verse 11 says, And the Lord will guide you continually and satisfy your soul in drought. Fasting and prayer gives you divine revelation. Bible says when you fast, your light will break forth. That talks about revelation. That's why, I, and I heard Bishop David Oyedepo say it uh, this way. He says, don't fast and pray to get a quick fix. Fast and pray to get revelation. Fast after light. Go for light. So when you fast and pray, I'd say it's not just fasting and prayer. I would say it's fasting, prayer, and study of the Word of God. 
If you're believing God for a specific situation to turn around, if it's health, if it's finances, whatever it is, fast, pray, and get in the Word. And study books on that subject from the Word of God that men of God and women of God have written on the subject. And go after it. Chase after light. Take an explorer's mindset and go after light. Chase after light. Chase after divine revelation. Because when revelation, remember my, the Bible says my people are destroyed because they have no revelation. So you're not destroyed because you have a big devil. You're not destroyed because you have a, a bigger problem than others. You're not destroyed because God's abandoned you. You, the Bible says, my people are destroyed because they have no knowledge. They have no light. So if you want a dominion in the area that you're being slapped around in right now, you have to go for light because light's dominion over darkness is instant and it's unquestionable. It was on a three-day fast that Bishop David Oyedepo was praying and going after light, reading, reading the word of God, that the Lord opened up his eyes and revealed there was a dark cloud over his church. And the Lord said, that dark cloud is the devil trying to misinterpret what I'm doing in your church. And that's what's hindered growth. That's why they stayed at 40 people for so long. So when the Lord revealed that to him on a three-day fast, he took authority over it. And, and um, it was from that day that they went to like 100 to 1,000 to now. They're over 500,000 on Sunday morning, the largest church on planet Earth. It's David Oyedepo credits that breakthrough to a time of fasting and prayer where his light came forth. God revealed what needed to be changed, what needed to be, uh, what needed to be dealt with. Then when it came to, he was poor. David Oyedepo had no money. He was poor. Had no way to finance his vision. Went in a fat, three days on a mountain, fasting and praying. And he had a book by a minister that, that talked about financial prosperity and how to steward your money properly. How to unlock God's blessing. It was in that time of fasting and prayer that he saw that God didn't want him to be poor. See, he had that po poverty mindset. That God was trying to keep him poor, to keep him pious. In fasting and prayer and studying the word of God, the Lord revealed to him from the word of God that he actually delights in the prosperity of his servants. That Deuteronomy 28 says, if you'll diligently serve me, all these blessings will come upon you. You'll be blessed in the city. You'll be blessed in the country. So God's not just a God of America. He's the God of Africa. Doesn't matter if you're in the bush of Africa or in a first, first uh, world type of city in Africa. God... If you'll, if you'll do things God's way, God will bless you and flourish you. It was when he, he caught a win. For, you know, it's hard to have. The worst thing is to have a great vision and lack finances. When he was in fasting and prayer, the Lord revealed that to him. He stood up. He said, I, I spoke it with everything in me. And he said, I could never be poor. And that ended poverty in his life from that day onward. Though his situation didn't change immediately, the revelation, his light broke forth in his spirit. Light came forth. And light can cure depression. Many people are depressed because they don't have sufficient light from the word of God. They don't, un they don't truly have an understanding of God's word. And so they soak in the sorrow of depression. And the devil chews on them. And they're a prey to the devil. He's, he, he just, a field day for him. Can sow thoughts of fear and thoughts of doubt and thoughts of worry and all that. But when you come in the knowledge of the word, the entrance of his word brings light. And that light shines darkness out. And darkness can't do anything about it.
So fasting, the Bible says, will provoke God's light. That's why the Bible says in 2 Peter, or 1 Peter 1, Peter's like astonished. He's saying, I've seen Jesus. You haven't. And yet you believe. Light broke forth. They didn't See, there's a lot of Christians that have a mental assent of the Word of God. They agree with God's Word. They know it's in there. But is there light? Has it been a rhema word or is it just logos? Logos is just the Word delivered. Information. Rhema is when the light breaks forth. Logos can't get you far. Rhema is what quickens that word in your spirit. That's what happened to me. The word on healing got quickened in my spirit. I don't just, I don't just agree with God's healing power in the Bible that it's there. And I, I've intellectually assented to it. That it's theologically correct. No, it's in me. It is in me. It governs my actions. It governs the way I deal with sickness. It governs the way I deal with ministering to the sick. Hallelujah. Fasting and prayer brings revelation. The flesh fights revelation. Fasting kills the flesh so that you can receive revelation. And it's the revelation of the word of God that you have that will determine your behavior in life. You can tell between you can tell the difference between someone who who knows what they're talking about and then someone who believes what they're talking about. There's a difference between I mean look at it in Jesus day. He gets into the synagogue in Mark chapter 1. In those days in the synagogue it wasn't just one preacher. They had four, five, six different preachers in on a given Sabbath that would come up and share something from the word. All of the other guys, there was a demon in there, did nothing. Jesus gets up, the anointed Christ, the Son of God, who didn't just agree with the law, He was the law made flesh. He was the full revelation of the Word of God on the earth. When He gets up and began to speak, He just read a scripture, Luke chapter, uh, Isaiah 61. When He spoke, there was a man in the synagogue that cried out, What have we to do with the demon in Him? What have we to do with you, Jesus, Son of God? Have you come to torment us before the time? What was the difference between all the other ones who knew the law and Jesus who spoke the law? One of them had the light. One of them was operating by revelation knowledge. The other, one, the other ones were operating by information knowledge. And it, it changed the behavior. It changed the way they talk. And it changed the results they enjoyed. The demon had his, he was amening the other ones. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. The moment Jesus stood up and spoke, he couldn't inhabit the environment of the anointing that Jesus' power set up in that place. He couldn't stand the environment that the anointing set up in that synagogue when Jesus stood up to speak. He had no choice but to leave. There's a difference between someone who knows the word and someone who has a quickened knowledge of the word. If you fail in the day of adversity, your strength is too small. If problems come and the moment trouble comes every single time, you call pastor, pastor, I don't know what we're going to do. Or you message someone online, you have to keep me in prayer. You can know that the light's not there. You're still living in worry. You're still living in doubt. You're still living in the dark. Bishop Oedepo, man, I feel like bringing up more of his examples. Bishop Oedepo, his wife was pregnant. I don't know how much pregnant, but she was like several weeks pregnant. And uh, she bled, went to the doctor. Doctor said, I have a miscarriage. He didn't know. She went by herself. And then uh, he got home from work that night. And he, she said, the doctor said, I have a miscarriage. You know what he did? Oh, 
we're so I don't know what we're gonna do. I mean, uh, we're gonna have to like we're gonna have to do things different. He didn't do that. You know what he did? He had such a light on Exodus twenty three twenty five that says that none of your none of your women shall miscarry. That's what the Bible says. That he didn't even pay attention to it. He said, he said, um, it cannot be. Can I have my food, please? Because she was serving dinner. It cannot be. Can I have my food, please? And then, at the appointed due date, she gave birth to that child. No miscarriage. Miscarriage reverted. So I give an extreme example, but there's some people who panic from little things. I mean, it's understandable when the doctor says you have a miscarriage that you, you freak out. I mean, this guy had the word, the light, so break forth from his spirit that even something so severe as a miscarriage, he said, it cannot be, can I have my food, please? And at the appointed due date, he had his child. So that's an extreme thing, but there's small things. How do you handle trouble? Shows whether you have light or whether you're still walking in darkness. If you fail, if you panic in the day when trouble comes, your strength is too small. If you wither away when the heat of trials and tribulation comes, that's why James 1 says, consider it great joy when you encounter various trials and tribulation. You can't consider it joy when you have no light that God works all things together for good to those that love Him and are called according to His purpose. When you don't have that light break forth in your spirit, when things happen, you panic, you, you hide, you, you, you run, you bow. When you have the light, quickened into your spirit of Romans 8 28 that he works all things together for good that greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world that the Bible says that uh, there's no weapon formed against you that can prosper that the Bible says that what eye has not seen what ear has not heard what has never entered the heart of man those are the things God has ahead of those that love him when the Bible says that the problems you see today you shall not fight this battle take heed I'm going to fight your battles just stand still and see the deliverance of the Lord when those things are just information you panic but when it's revelation nothing can pull you down hallelujah many people are destroyed because they have a lack of knowledge Revelation knowledge. So fast for life, for light. Don't just fast for a way out. Fast for understanding. Paul was fasting three days and three nights. And the Bible says when Ananias came and laid hands on him, his, his scales fell off. Fasting and prayer will cause the scales of unbelief and the things that hide this from becoming real to you. It, it causes those scales to fall off so that you can have the light of God's word break forth in your spirit. And remember, the Bible says that it is God who gives light in darkness, who has caused the light of his word to shine in our hearts. It's the devil that veils the minds of those that do not believe, lest they should see the light. So fasting removes the veil so you can see the light. Hallelujah. And when that light comes, like I said, believe in the light that you may become children of light. What you believe, from what you see in God's word, you will become. What you believe is what you will become and what you'll have. Abraham, God said, lift up your eyes and look eastward, westward, northward, and southward. Every place on which your eyes can see is land that I'm giving you. So when you can't see, when your access to revelation is blocked, you can't partake of anything in the word of God. But when you start to fast and pray, you're lifting up your eyes. And God starts to show you deeper things in the Word of God. You know the Bible says that in 1 Corinthians 2, Who knows the things of God except the Spirit of God? 
We've not received the spirit of this world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might know the thoughts of God, so that we might have access to the thoughts of God. You can't partake of anything in God's word that you haven't first gained access by light and revelation. Deuteronomy, I think it's chapter 30 or it might be chapter 29, says that the secret things belong to the Lord our God, but those things which he has revealed belong to the children of men. So only the things that God reveals by revelation, the breaking forth of light, are the things that belong to you. If it's not been revealed to you, you can't partake of them. Because ignorance is not bliss. Ignorance is destruction in, in the kingdom of God. Number four, divine health. Uh, I read it in verse 8, Isaiah 58. Then your light shall break forth like the morning, and your healing shall spring forth speedily. Divine health is a benefit, a supernatural benefit of fasting and prayer, but I also wanted to go through the natural benefits. I did a little bit of study on this. The natural benefits of fasting and prayer. Listen to this. Number one, it regenerates stem cells. Stem cells regenerate. In you, when you fast and when you pray, and I think it's between 24 and 48 hours of fasting and prayer, will actually kick in to motion a regeneration of stem cells, which, um, which, which, innate, which help your, your biological makeup. It's what you're made of. It destroys toxins in the body. That's why when you fast and pray, people ask me, uh, can I chew gum when I fast and pray? It is your duty to chew gum when you fast and pray. Because when you fast and pray, when you fast, your, your breath goes off. And the first few days, no matter if you brush your teeth 150 times, your breath goes off. And the reason is because your toxins are eliminating and one of the gateways is through your mouth. And so when you fast, your body is like almost... It, it's, it, when food is withheld, you're going through the process of oxidation which acts like a bonfire. Your body's collecting all the junk, all the nasty dirt of your flesh, all of the, the gunk, all of the, the stuff that hinders the pipes from flowing right, all of the, the things that food brings on you. Because, you know, especially in this day and age, you don't know what's in your food. You know, it's funny how they have the FDA, Food and Drug Administration. There's two things that shouldn't be connected. It's food and drugs. It's, they should have the food administration and then the drug administration and have no connection with the two. Because you have people that control the food and what's put, going in your food, they can put things that will lead you to needing the drugs that they want to sell, pharmaceutical companies want to sell. So when you have the FDA, the food and drug, you don't know what they're putting in your food that's leading you to take the drugs that you need now. It's really, it's screwed up. It's messed up. So that's why we pray in our, before we eat. We pray not only that God, not only to thank God, but to sanctify the food to our bodies so that whatever is in it would be eliminated. When you fast, you're actually removing whatever they put in our food, whatever things they put in to, to increase growth of you know, wheat and whatever. When you fast, it, uh, it, it eliminates those toxins. It, it burns them all up. Brings mental clarity. Fasting will actually, maybe not the first few days. First few days you might think like confused thoughts or whatever. You might be having cloudy thoughts, a hard time praying even. Because your, your thoughts are not in order. But if you'll push on, your thoughts will, will, will line up. And you'll actually experience a, a heightened mental clarity. You'll start to think clearer than you've ever thought before. 
And that's amazing. That's supernatural. Fasting will retain your youthful complexion. If you have skin problems, eczema and stuff, I know people that have done fasting and it helped their skin clear up. It, it defers old age. Because think of it. You are as old as the number of dead cells in your body. So when you fast, you're actually, the body is using those dead cells to fuel your energy. So it's taking all the dead cells and it's fueling your energy to get by in the day. But all those dead cells are dying out. They're, they're being eliminated. So it, it can actually defer old age. It can actually bring you um, like a vitality, a youthful vitality. And I know people, my mentor, Evangelist Tiff Shuttlesworth, he's fasted 21 days at the beginning of every year and then other times throughout the year for the last, you know, 40 years. And he looks young. He looks very young. His skin is clear. His hair, full head of hair. He doesn't look, I think he's like 61 or 62. He might be 62. He doesn't look that age. He looks like he's, he's much younger than that. He looks youthful. He looks vibrant. You study, T.L. Osborne fasted a lot throughout his lifetime. When he was 89 years old, he still had the same, he didn't dye his hair, he had the same hair color that he had when he was 40. His skin looked clear. He looked good. Dr. Frank McCoy said, I have never found, so in terms of the natural benefits of health in fasting, and I'm going to get into the supernatural of it, but the natural of it is I've never found a single method that could approach even closely in its results the benefits which come with a form of the fasting cure. This is a doctor talking about it. This doctor had, he used to say that fasting is the fastest way to health. This is not a, a spiritual person. This is just a doctor talking about fasting and what it does for the body. He says, many times I'd see people come in with specific illnesses and stuff, and I wouldn't give them any medication. I'd just tell them to fast for two days, and that would clear it. You know, fasting clears, it gives your, your intestinal tract a rest. It gives it a break. Think of it. In today's day and age, we have food so easily available to us. We pump our bodies time and time again, we, especially after the holidays. No wonder we do a January fast. We're like uh, overloaded. Borderline gluttonous. We're just pumping our bodies day in and day out. We don't give our bodies a rest. It was never like that. Do you know that back in the day, people would just eat when they were hungry? They wouldn't eat on schedules. Today we have schedules, breakfast, uh, lunch, and dinner. And we, we, we hold to them in a regiment style. We have to. It's a disciplined thing. Even if I'm not hungry, I eat breakfast. That's how people run. They don't eat when they're hungry. They just eat because it's time to eat. Society has said it's time to eat. Back in the day, they would eat when, it was, when they got hungry because the body was signaling, it's time to eat. Now we just eat and eat and all the, exactly, snacks, snacking throughout the day, overloading the system, sugar. When you fast, you're giving your body a break, time to reset itself. I, I know people personally that had um, intestinal issues that when they fasted, it detoxed their intestines and the issues never came back. It reset their intestinal tract. Now those are the natural. Now we're not fasting for that. We're fasting for consecration and dedication to God. But I wanted to add this in one of the benefits and rewards and reasons you should fast too. That's not our primary motive, but it is a natural byproduct of it. Now the spiritual healing, and I'm not just talking about spiritual, I'm talking about physical healing that happens, uh, but on a supernatural side of it. Bible says, 
When you fast, your healing will spring forth speedily. Because what happens when you fast is you're, you're draining the influence of your flesh. And in a fast, the Spirit of God begins to have full influence on your spirit, your soul, and your body. And remember, Romans 8.11 says your, the Spirit of Christ will quicken your mortal body. The Bible says in John 6.63, it is the Spirit that quickeneth. So when you fast and the Spirit of God gains full influence over your spirit, soul, and body, body included, it quickens you in spirit, quickens you in soul, and it, has a, it, it plays a part in quickening your, your mortal flesh, your body. Gives you supernatural energy. Look at Elijah. Elijah fasted 40 days. And the Bible says he went on the strength of one meal for 40 days. 40 days and 40 nights. In that fast, he experienced supernatural energy. So number four, benefit of fasting and prayer is divine health. Number five, and this is one of my favorites, it's victory. Victory comes when you fast. The Bible says in Acts chapter 10. Now... Let me first talk about different types of victory. There's different types of victory. There's victory, personal victory, that you're believing for yourself. There's family victory, a breakthrough in your family. There's um, a, a group victory. You're a group of people that are believing, for, believing God for something. And then there's national victory and breakthrough. I'm going to go through all four of those in this time. Number one, personal victory. Isaiah 58, verse 6. Is this not the fast that I've chosen? To loose the bonds of wickedness and to undo the heavy burdens. To let the oppressed go free. That you may break every yoke. When you fast and pray, there's an anoint, a strong anointing that comes on you. That breaks the yoke of oppression on your life. If you have depression, anxiety. If it's, um, if it's a mental bondage. If it's a physical bondage. Whatever it is if it's insecurity in your spirit, if it's fear, if it's a spiritual bondage, doubt, unbelief, fear, the Bible says that when you engage in the fast that God has chosen, a fast that is sincere in heart, a fast that has humility tied to it, a fast that, um, that, that, that has repentance tied to it, when you engage in that type of fast, God releases, remember Isaiah 10, 27, it is the anointing that lifts up the heavy burden and breaks the yoke of captivity. That anointing is released on your life when you fast. So that fear lifts its hand off your life. So that, that spirit of heaviness, remember Isaiah 61, the Bible says the spirit of the Lord God is upon me. He's anointed me to, to preach the gospel to the poor. Then it goes on to say, to lift off the, the spirit of heaviness and to put on you the garments, of, the garments of praise. To give you the oil of gladness instead of the spirit of heaviness. So there's a spirit of heaviness that seeks to, to weigh in on people's lives. Make life hard and tough. That's why Jesus said, come to me all that are weary and heavy laden. So fasting and prayer is you coming to Christ whereby that anointing begins to, 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 to transmit through your entire body and breaks those heavy yokes, breaks those, those uh, demonic strongholds in your life. Break, it loosens the bonds of wickedness. You believe in God for a breakthrough over a sin, that, that pornography or alcohol, you want to quit alcohol, drugs or whatever, and you can't seem to do it, go on a fast, go on and, and pray as you fast, and you're going to see 
The bonds of wickedness. What's the bonds of wickedness? It's the bondage of wickedness. We'll be loose. They'll break off your life. The fire of God will, will burn the ropes of sin off your life so you can break free. It'll undo the heavy burdens, the things the devil tries to, to crush you with. The weights. The Bible says we're to lay aside the sin and the weight that so easily ensnares us. Those heavy weights of doubt, unbelief, worry, concern, anxiety, panic. The Bible says that when you fast, it'll undo. God will lift it off your life. He'll remove it from you. He'll beat back the oppressor. You feel like there's a demon that's been sent against your life to destroy you? Fasting will beat back the oppressor. The Bible says he'll let the oppressed go free and will break every yoke. Every yoke of captivity. There's personal breakthrough. Elijah was a coward at one point. Jezebel threatened his life. He escaped to the caves. When the Lord spoke to him in that still small voice, he fasted 40 days and 40 nights on the strength of one meal. And the Bible says, afterwards, there was a new Elijah that emerged. You feel like you're, you're constantly bullied by hell. Constantly... In the, uh, feel intimidated, constantly feeling fearful of what the devil's planning for your life. Go on a fast and pray. You're going to see the spirit of fear lift off your life and a new you will emerge that doesn't have insecurities, that doesn't have the ability to be intimidated, that walks in boldness. That's what Elijah did. Elijah emerged a different man. Instead of running from Jezebel and Ahab, do you know what he did? They sent troops to come and arrest him. He was on the mount called Carmel. And he said, if I beat, I mean, what changed? That fast did something for him. Elijah said, if I be a man of God. The same people that were coming to chase and kill him before that, he fled to the mountain, the caves, and hid away. Discouraged. Dispirited and distressed. The same Elijah now. When the same people, the same troops came to arrest him, he gets up and says, if I be a man of God, let fire fall down from heaven and devour you. He was unstoppable. He brought judgment on Ahab and he brought judgment. He released judgment on Jezebel. Bible says that Jezebel will be eaten by the wall of Jezreel and the dog shall lick up her blood. And that's exactly what happened. Total, total transformation. And that happened on a fast. Fasting does not change God. Fasting changes me. I want you to write that in the comment section. Fasting changes me. Balagova on Facebook, I'm going to go through the types of fast and, and times of fasting and all that. So, so keep on. Number two, uh, fasting will break, will give you victory in your family. If you're believing God for loved ones to be saved. Acts chapter 10. Listen to this. Acts chapter 10. This is an amazing story. There was a certain man in Caesarea called Cornelius, a centurion of what was called the Italian regiment, a devout man and one who feared God with all his household, with all his household, who gave alms generously to the people and prayed to God always. About the ninth hour of the day, he saw clearly a in a vision an angel of God coming in and saying to him, Cornelius, and he said, what is it, Lord? He said, your prayers and your giving has been give, come up for a memorial before God. Send men to Joppa and send for a man whose name is Peter. He will tell you what you must do. 
so you move on. He sends the person. He, he sends for, for Peter. And the following day, verse 24. They entered Caesarea. Now Cornelius was waiting for them and called together his relatives and close friends. As Peter was coming in, Cornelius worshipped him and fell down at his feet. Peter lifted him up and said, Stand up, I myself am a man like you. As he talked with him, he, he went in and found many who had come together. Then Peter said to them, You know how unlawful it is for a Jewish man to keep company with or to go with one of another nation. But God has shown me that I should not call any man common or unclean. Therefore I came without objection as soon as I was sent for. I asked them, What reason have you sent for me? Listen to this. So Cornelius said, Four days ago, I was fasting until this hour, and at the ninth hour I prayed in my house, and behold, a man stood before me in bright clothing, and said, Cornelius, your prayer has been heard, and your alms remembered before God. Send therefore men to Joppa, and call for Simon, whose surname is Peter. He's lodging in a house of Simon by the sea. So the Bible says, he was a man who feared God. He was a devout man. He announced his whole household. But one day he decided to fast. When he was fasting, God sent an angel to send for Peter. And when Peter came, it opened up his house to the gospel. And his whole household, the Bible says, afterwards his whole household was saved and baptized. His whole household was saved, filled with the Holy Spirit, if you read on the full story, and baptized. That came as a result of fasting. So if you're praying for loved ones to get saved, relatives, and nothing's happening, why don't you do the Cornelius thing to do and start to mix in fasting and prayer? Begin to mix fasting with your prayer. Because fasting, what it does, is it intensifies your prayers. Fasting, what it does, is it, it acts as like uh, the detonator for the C4 of prayers. Sometimes, you know, if all you have is C4, it's not going to do anything. But when you have the fasting, which is the detonator, you add that, it, 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 it results in an explosion of answered prayers. So you believe in God for your husband or spouse or whatever to be saved. Cornelius fasted, God honored it by bringing salvation to his home. It, it quickened the work of God. It accelerated the process. You can believe God for a family breakthrough. You know, you have a Bible promise that you and your household will be saved. You can be like Joshua, Joshua, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. You can start making declarations like that and then fast and pray and see God go to work supernaturally where people who formerly were hostile to the gospel, all of a sudden now, because you fasted and prayed, it actually broke down the callousness of their heart. It actually removed the stony parts of their heart so that now their heart was flesh. They're actually open to receive now. That's what fasting and prayer will do can give you family breakthrough. Number three, it can give you breakthrough in a group. Acts 27, Paul is shipwrecked with 276 other men. They're shipwrecked and uh, have no hope of being saved. They fasted for 14 days. And the Bible says an angel of the Lord came after the 14th day and told Paul, do not be discouraged. God has granted your life and the life of everyone on the ship. So now, be strong, eat, for there will be no loss of life among the ship, uh, among the people on the ship, only of the ship. There will be no loss of life. Only the cargo in the ship will be lost. But the Bible says that there was a, a, a corporate breakthrough because Paul made a decision to fast and pray. He abstained from food. It provoked a divine intervention. It sped things up. I mean, 
the last one I'm saying is the national breakthrough. You want to talk about provoking divine intervention. If God can, by fasting and prayer, provoke a national breakthrough, what can it do on a family level? And what do you think fasting and prayer is going to do on a personal level? Daniel fasted and prayed 21 days. And the Bible says an angel was sent and gave him the solution that brought forth the national deliverance for Israel. That came on as a result of a 21-day period of fasting and prayer. Esther 4.14. Haman's threatening the Jewish people has created a weapon to hang them all on. And the Bible says, Esther said, I will not eat nor drink water for the next three days. You and the Jews do the same. And she went before the king of her day, who, if you didn't have an appointment and you just showed up, you know that's another thing fasting does? It'll put on you a favor. It'll impress God's favor on you. Not just favor before God, but favor before your fellow man. Because she came before the king. If you didn't have an appointment and came before the king, it was decapitato it was you're getting your head chopped off she came before the king without an appointment but she had an appointment with god because she had fasted and prayed and it put a favor on her so that not only did the king agree to see her everything she asked for the king agreed to do and what happened the, the same gallows that were reserved to hang the jews was used to hang haman and all of his conspirers Hallelujah. That came as a result of fasting and prayer. And that was only three days of fasting and prayer. And look what it did. It brought a national deliverance. We can do that on a national level. Look at 2 Chronicles 20. Three armies come against the Jewish people at Jerusalem. And uh, the Bible says Jehoshaphat feared. But he did something else. He set himself to fear the Lord and proclaimed a fast throughout all Judah. When he did that, he prayed, Lord God of, of heaven, who has power and might in his hand that none is able to withstand, none is able to contradict. Lord, take note of what these people are doing. We have no power against this great multitude, nor do we know what to do, but our eyes are on you. And they proved that their eyes were on them. They pushed the plate aside. He proclaimed the fast. What happened after that? Scripture is very clear. Ahaziah, I think his name was. The prophet came and uh, gave a word for the entire city of Jerusalem and said, hey, don't fear them. Don't be dismayed. Don't worry about them. There's more on your side than there is with them. This time tomorrow, go up against them. And the Bible says they didn't have to fight. They didn't have to lift a finger. All they did was sing praise unto God. That's why it's good when you're fasting and praying to also mix in praise. Because they, they praise God with voices loud and high as they were fasting and as they had prayed. And the Bible says God sent a confusion upon the camp of the enemy. We're believing God for a national deliverance in my nation of Canada. We're having a, a, a dictatorship style takeover, a cure as we speak. The enemy has plans to bring the people of Canada to their knees and wipe out the church. But there's people like me and my church and others watching online that are taking a stand. Canada does not belong to the devil. America does not belong to the devil. And the time for the enemy to have government on this earth is not yet. For the resisting force called the church is still on the earth. In the same way God acted, in that he eliminated the adversary, the opposition of Israel in those days. Caused confusion on the camp of the enemy. Every enemy of my nation, every enemy of your nation. God, as you fast and pray, God will release a confusion upon the camp of the wicked. 
And they'll fight one another. And they'll destroy one another. And at the end, the only thing that'll be left for us to do is to collect the spoil of war. Every time the enemy rose up against the people of God in the Bible, not only resulted in the demise of their enemies, but it, it resulted in an accelerated promotion for the people of God. The devil's decision to rise up against the people of God not only sealed his defeat, but it also just pushed us forward. That's what's going to happen. The devil's decision to try and what he's done in the last 22 months on planet earth to suppress the advancement of the gospel is not only going to result in it backfiring against them, but the greatest proclamation, the greatest push, and the greatest advancement that the gospel has ever had in its history is going to result from this. Because there's a greater zeal, there's a greater fervor, there's a greater desire in the people of God on the earth than ever before. We almost were in a lulled state. We were in a lullaby state before. People were just living their life as in the days before the flood, giving in marriage. Mar the last 22 months woke people up. The devil tried to put us more to sleep. All it did was wake people up and he woke up the sleeping giant. When you fast and pray, you can provoke a deliverance in your nation. Who knows if you're fasting in prayer one and the Lord begins to visit you and say, like Gideon, I'm choosing you to bring a national deliverance. And God put a, a mandate in your heart, put a mission in your heart. You were born for such a time as this, as Esther was. Not to coast through life, but to get things done. Hallelujah. So, those are the five powerful reasons why you should fast. Fast and pray. And I wanted to go through. First and foremost. I want to go through. Where did I write it? I want to go through the right way to fast. And then I'm going to go through the types of fast. I'm going to do it quickly. The right ways to fast. Isaiah 58 says. Is this not the fast that I've chosen? They were doing it with impure motives. They were doing it. They were literally. If you read the fullness of Isaiah 58. They were. Screwing people over on a business level. All the while they were fasting. They were trying to get the benefits of fasting without having, uh, without having an attitude that God respects in fasting. They wanted the benefit of fasting without actually humbling their heart while they fast. And that's why God said, that's not the fast I've chosen. And you'll indeed cry out and you'll pray all you want, but I will not hear you. For is this not the fast that I've chosen? What is the chosen fast? Number one, you have to keep it quiet. Stop announcing to everyone you're fasting. Now, I'm not saying if you proclaim the fast with your church or whatever, people know you're fasting, there's nothing wrong with that. We're not talking about going overboard where we're just trying to be hermits, where nobody sees you the next couple of days or 21 days or whatever day of fast that you, you choose to undergo. I'm talking about parading it in the streets where everybody knows you're fasting. Where everywhere you go, you, you look like you're fasting. Jesus said when you fast... Anoint your face. Anoint your head with oil. Wash your face. Groom yourself. Look good. Don't look like you're one breath away from death. Look good. Do your hair. Style yourself. Wear clothes. Be diligent. Look professional. You should, first of all, when you really fast the proper way, you'll have more than enough energy after you get off the, the initial, over the initial hump of, of hunger. And afterwards, you should, look, you should look better than other people who aren't fasting. Like I said, on the physical benefits of fasting, it, it provides you with, with supernatural energy. 
You should look like you have more energy than others. Shouldn't look like you're lacking energy. If you're fasting properly, there should be in something in you where you, 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 you're not taking four naps throughout the day. You, you look like you can, you're outpacing others in strength. Number two, quit boasting. It's another thing. Don't blow the trumpet. Well, I fasted 21 days. Oh, I fasted 40 days. Well, I've done 60 days. God's not impressed by your arrogant boasting. It's not a badge. It's not a scout badge that you, you gain. And you can flash it off. Hey, I'm level six. Or like a, a belt in karate. I'm a black belt. Or I'm a white belt. Or I'm a... People are boasting at how much they fast. Oh, I've done this. Oh, I do four 30-day fasts a year. Good for you. Good for you. Doesn't do you... You know, the Pharisee, I forget what book it's in, but the, Jesus tells the parable of two men that went to the synagogue to pray. And the Pharisee, the Bible says, he prayed thus with himself. And he said, thank you, God, I'm not like this sinner. I fast twice weekly. He was boasting about how much he fasted. And the Bible says, Jesus said this, this man prayed thus with himself, meaning his prayer didn't even ascend to heaven. He was praying with himself. He was talking to himself. But then the other, the sinner, beat his chest, would not so, luck, so much as look up to God and said, be merciful to me, O Lord, a sinner. And the Bible says, that man went away justified rather than the other. The Pharisee boasted about everything he did. He thought he was gaining, like, he was gaining ground with God, favor with God. Well, if I fast more, God will like me more. That's not how it works. Remember, fasting doesn't change God, doesn't change his perspective of you, doesn't change his point of view of who you are. Fasting changes you. Number three, devote yourself to prayer. This is not a diet. These are right ways to fast. This is not a diet. This isn't you uh, having a hunger strike. This isn't you saying, God, I'm not eating until you give me this. You're not some spoiled brat. We're, we're, we're not, we're evaluating our motives in fasting. It's not so we can, we can fit back into our summer bathing suits. It's not so that we can start wearing that suit we wore when we were 23. It's not so that we can wear those jeans that were so expensive and you ended up, you know, splurging on food once and you can't fit in them anymore. We're not, that's not why we're fasting. We have to devote ourselves to prayer. It is prayer that gives value to fasting, not the other way around. It is prayer that gives value to fasting. Fasting without prayer is useless. Fasting is a supplement to prayer. It's what intensifies your praying. It's what um, heats up your prayers. Number four, be kind to others. Don't be the Grinch while you're on a fast. At the slightest, now I'm not saying there's not going to be times, especially at the beginning, where you, you feel like snapping. You, you feel like snapping because you're hungry. You're, you're like that Snickers com commercial, hangry. I'm talking, about, I'm talking about maintaining that attitude throughout your fast. Where you're just an angry person, you're bitter towards people. Don't bother me, I'm fasting. You know? Or you do this. I'm on a fast. Can't you see? You know, like you're being a jerk. You're not walking in love. And faith works by love. And so if you're not walking in love, your faith ain't working. If your faith ain't working, fasting and prayer is not a substitute for love and faith and hope. Fasting and prayer is not a way to navigate around faith. It's not a way where you can, you know, there's faith. You can receive things by faith. But then there's fasting and prayer where God will actually just ignore 
love. He'll ignore, you know, whatever you've been doing. He'll ignore your lack of love. He'll ignore your bitterness and he'll just give it to you anyways because you've deprived yourself of hunger. You're like that kid that says, I refuse to eat. No, I'm not hungry. I'm, you know, that spoiled teenager that says, I'm not eating until you give me that new car or whatever. That's not, God doesn't operate that way. Fasting and prayer is not a way to get a shortcut to the blessing of God. Fasting and prayer is a supplement. So if you're just going to be a jerk to everybody, you might as well just eat. Or you can do an even better thing, and that's stop being a jerk. Number five, disconnect. So disconnect from, uh, from society to, a, to whatever level you can. You don't have to be on your phone all the time. As I said, you can't fast Instagram, but you can stop using Instagram while you're fasting. Fasting is covering your mouth. It's not eating. So it would be a good thing to not go on Instagram if that's your problem. If you're, always con you're constantly addicted to social media or television or PlayStation or Xbox or, you know, whatever. It'd be a good time to disconnect. Lock yourself in your room with your Bible. And your, if you're at work, instead of listening to Shakira and talking about her hips not lying... Put on earphones and listen to a podcast like this. Listen to a YouTube uh, sermon. Listen to, to, to content that's going to steer you on to keep on fasting and to maximize the results of the fast. And then number six, Jeremiah 14, 10 to 12. This is important. Jeremiah 14, 10 to 12. Thus says the Lord to his people, Thus they have loved to wander. They've not restrained their feet. Therefore the Lord does not accept them. He will remember their iniquity now and punish their sins. The Lord said to me, Do not pray for this people for their good. And when they fast, and when they fast, and when they fast, I will not hear their cry. And when they, when they offer burnt offerings and grain offerings and they try to give their way out of it, I'll not accept it. I'll consume them by sword, famine, and pestilence. Do not pray for this people for their good. When they fast, they, I will not hear their cry. Why? Because they've loved to wander and they've not restrained their feet. They, they've not restrained their feet, meaning they've not uh, repented of sin. They've not turned away from sin. They've not turned away from indulging in the appetites of their flesh. If you're going to, you know, fasting and prayer is not, is not a substitute for holiness either. Fasting and prayer is not another way to get God's blessing in case you don't want to be holy and live holy and walk holy. If you'll not repent, all the fasting and all the prayer uh, is going to produce nothing for your life. Humility, repentance, and sincerity of heart are prerequisites for your fast to be respected in God's sight. Jeremiah said, they love to wander. And they've not, kept, they've not kept a firm watch over where they let their feet go. As a result, when they fast, I'm not going to hear them. It's not the fast that I've chosen. You can't live in sin. Fast and pray and hope that the effects of sin will be negated and the blessing of God kicked in to motion regardless of how you live your life. Paul said, I, sub I bring my body, my flesh, into subjection to the desires of my spirit lest I should be disqualified. Holy, uh, lack of holiness, sinful living is a disqualification to any benefit and reward from this book called the Bible. Holiness is the master key to all of it. You can't unlock 
the benefits of fasting and prayer until you've used the master key of holiness. So, repent. The Bible says repent so that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. The times of refreshing won't come until you repent. And God says, I have no desire for the death of the wicked. I'd rather he repents. So this is your, your call today. Repent. Turn away from sin because your sins will find you out. And then I'm going to finish with the four types of fast that I've written down. Four types of fast. Number one is the supernatural fast. Now, before I get into that, the duration of the fast is ultimately dependent upon you and what the Holy Spirit tells you to do. I will not tell someone you need to do one day, you need to do three days, unless you do seven days, unless you do 14 days, unless you do 20 days, unless you do 40 days, you're not going to get this. That's not how it works. Um, the duration of the fast is dependent upon what the Holy Spirit leads you to do. You have to purpose it in your heart to do what God has told you to do. If He leads you to do 21 days, don't do seven. If He leads you to do three, you don't need to do ten. Do what the Holy Spirit has told you to do. And I'll tell you, a good way to know that the Holy Spirit's, uh, what the Holy Spirit's telling you to do is when God's Spirit tells you to do something, it's going to challenge you. It's not going to be fast breakfast if, if you never even eat breakfast in the first place. That's probably not the Holy Spirit saying, that's just you. So if, as for the duration, someone asked early on the broadcast, should I do three days? I've never done. I would say if you've never fasted before, start with one day. Start with one day. Do six to six if you're really scared of what you're going to feel like. Do six to six. When you've mastered six to six, do a full day. When you've mastered one day, do two days. When you've mastered two days, do three days. If you've mastered three days, go on to seven days and so on and so forth. But the point is that you do fast and your motives are right. So what are the four types of fast in the Bible? Number one, does the supernatural fast. This is no food, no water. Only one person in the entire Bible has done this. And that was Moses. He did a 40-day fast, no water. It was a supernatural fast. And the reason why it was a supernatural fast is that it was supernaturally sustained because he was in the actual presence of God. He literally spoke to God as a man speaks to a friend face to face. So if that happens to you and you get raptured up into some mountain somewhere and you're literally walking with God, go ahead and do 40 days. Don't have water, don't have food. His body was supernaturally sustained by the Spirit of God because he was in direct uh, direct contact with God himself. Jesus did not do this type of fast for 40 days. He fasted food. The reason why we know is because after the 40 days ended, he became hungry. It doesn't say he became thirsty. Someone who, does not, who has not eaten or drank in 30 days, the first thing they're going to want to do is drink, not eat. So that's how we know he didn't... Um, he, was, he was drinking. He was drinking water during those days. He just wasn't eating. Jesus was not eating. He was engaged in what I call a total fast, which is the number two type of fast, a total fast. A total fast is water only. You have uh, uh, Jesus did this. Elijah did this. Uh, Joshua did this. They did it for 40 days. Um, you, you see other people in the, in the New Testament and the Old Testament that did total fast where it was a water only thing. And this is a full 24-hour thing. Whether you do it one day or you do it 21 days or 40 days, a total fast is having water only. And I would add to that, if you're going to do that, which I personally, personally, this is my opinion, if you're not called to the ministry full-time and you're, you're not doing crusades and evangelistic work and all that, 
I personally would stay away from 40 day fasts and I and, and even 21 day total fasts where it's just water only. The people that engaged in fasts like that were all people that had been set aside for the ministry. So don't guilt yourself into thinking that you're, you know, God doesn't love you or you're not going to ever have power with God because you didn't do a 21 day fast or whatever, uh, 21 day fast, water fast only. Everyone in the scripture that sanctified themselves in such a manner were people that God had set apart specifically for the work of ministry. So that's a total fast, water only. And I would say if you're going to do that, even for three days, you can do that three days. There's no harm in that. That's not that hard to do. But if you do that for three days, drink water. Drink a lot of water. Drink a lot of water. When you feel hungry, drink water. Because uh, your, your body is not going to last long if you're not inundating it with water. Water will suppress that hunger pains for the first couple of days. Number three, liquids only fast. So this is like a non-total fast. This is no food, as all the other fasts are, but it's, um, you can do broth, you can do juices, even do like maybe a, a smoothie in the morning that's liquefied like a strawberry smoothie with milk or whatever. That, that's called a liquids fast. You can put broth in, you know, a soup, uh, a chicken broth, a... Uh, uh, whatever type of broth you like drinking, just so that it gives you necessary, um, the necessary components that are required, especially if you work a job or whatever that requires uh, your energy and stuff. This, this is not a bad thing to do. It'll give you the minerals needed for your body to function properly. Yeah, that's right, Jelani. Don't go blending a hamburger. This isn't you getting a deep-fried turkey and putting it into liquid form. We're not liquefying your favorite meal. We're talking about just giving you your body sufficient. You know, the whole, the whole point of a, of a fast is to challenge yourself. It's not meant to be easy. You know, people, you know, I tried fasting, but I got hungry. Wow, what a novelty. What a revelation. You got hungry when you didn't eat for three days? Great. Genius. Obviously, you're going to get hungry. I don't know. I, I stopped eating and I started getting headaches. Yeah. Your body's detoxing itself. It's going to happen. As I said, if you have a job or if you, you know, Jesus was locked up in a wilderness for 40 days. He wasn't doing much. If you have to be out in public society, going to your work, a liquids fast might be a, a good choice for you. And then four, this is my opinion, the only four fasts there are. I know there's the Daniel fast people talk about. I don't like to talk much about the Daniel fast because... Uh, first of all, Daniel did not, he wasn't fasting for spiritual reasons when he just ate uh, no pleasant food that came to his mouth. Daniel was just not defiling himself with the things of, of, of Babylon at that, point, at that point. It wasn't a fast, it wasn't a spiritual fast when he chose not to defile himself with the, the delicacies of Babylon. Uh, so, so the Dan, what people call the Daniel fast was actually not a fast in the Bible. That's why I don't include it in the fast. Is, is it a challenge to some people and is it a good place to start to increase your spiritual discipline and, and devotion to God? Sure, I'm sure God will honor it. But I'll also add to that that what people call Daniel fast in this nation, Canada and the U.S., people overseas called eating because they, oh, I've got my salad, and I got my tomato, and I got this, and I'm going to douse it with 18 kilograms of Caesar dressing. You know, people are gaining weight on the Daniel Fast. They have books on Daniel Fast recipes. 
where like I read when I'm not fasting, I'm like, goodness gracious, Carrie, you want to eat this for supper tonight? It's like they just <laughs> here's since you don't want to actually fast, here's a way you can you can get past the guilt of not fasting. That's what a book, that's what those books are. I mean, you, you look at some of the recipes and it's like amazing. I'm salivating over it just thinking of it right now. The point of it is to be challenging. So that's why I don't include the Daniel fast in this. So the fourth fast that I would recommend is the partial fast. This I'd recommend for most people. And that is a 6 a.m. to 6 p.m. Or 12 hours. So whatever you want to do it. 8 a.m. to 8 p.m. 9 a.m. to 9 p.m. Whatever you want to do. But a 12-hour fast a day. And uh, it's called a partial fast. And there's evidence of it in the Bible. In Judges chapter 20, they... Uh, Benjamin, the tribe of Benjamin had gone off course and the other tribes had c come together to, to, to fight Benjamin and the Lord said, because they, they were doing wicked things, the Lord said, go and defeat Benjamin, I'm with you. He went, they went out and they got defeated. Because uh, although they had the commandment to go, they hadn't mixed in fasting and prayer so they didn't secure the necessary power to actually get it done. So the next day, they mixed fasting. They fasted from sunset to sundown. And uh, sunrise to sundown, sorry. And the Bible says, when they engaged in battle the following day, after they had completed that fast, just one day of six to six, they ended up defeating Benjamin, and the Lord gave him a great bre breakthrough and a victory. That's right, Jelani. Judges 20 is the explanation of a partial fast. So there's evidence of it in the Bible. Those are the four types of fast found in the Bible. So ask the Lord, if you've never fasted, ask the Lord what would constitute something that's challenging to you and uh, something that would honor Him. And then do it. And I'll say, you're not going to die. People think, if I don't eat three days, I'm going to die. No, you actually won't. You'll be surprised at how, how strong, how fortified your body is and how, how, how much it's able to take, how much it's able to actually endure. So those, that's my 101, fasting 101 on fasting and prayer. There's so much more that I can talk about, but this is like the basics. And I pray it helped you. I pray it was a blessing to you. If you haven't liked it on YouTube, please hit that like. If you haven't shared it on Facebook, please hit that share button. Uh, let me pray for you. Father, I pray in the name of Jesus, everyone that's watching right now, that have, has had the desire to fast, but has kind of suppressed it. I ask you, Lord, today, let that desire rise up from within them. And give them the necessary willpower by the Spirit and the grace to actually go on the fast. And give them grace to keep on the fast as you've given me grace time and time again to stick on my fast, Lord. I pray in the name of Jesus as they see the value in fasting and prayer today. Lord, that they wouldn't just do it as a religious exercise, but as that they would enter into fasting and prayer with an extreme expectation to loose the bonds of wickedness, that you would let the oppressed go free, that our light would break forth as the dawn, that our healing would spring forth speedily, that the moment we ask, Lord, the answer would be expedited speedily in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. Father, I ask you as they engage in a time of fasting and prayer, as they've been encouraged to this broadcast, I ask you, Lord, let it mark a change of story for them. That all the insecurities of their past, all the fear, as you did for Elijah, he was turned into another man. Turn them into other people, Lord. People that walk in boldness and in confidence. In Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. Stay connected with us by visiting us on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook by searching at TJ Malkanji. Or visit us online 
www.salvationnow.ca. God bless you, and until next time.